Thanks, Kyle. And, uh, and as was mentioned, parents, there is, uh, there is paperwork in your mailboxes if you'd like to learn more about that. Or if you have any questions, talk to Kyle. He'll be glad to, to fill you in and, and tell you what's, uh, what's going on. So today is, uh, today, if you're watching online especially, it's good to remind you, today is April 24th, right? Now, technically, the 75th anniversary of Media Mennonite Church is on April 27th. In 1947, a Sunday was April 27th. This year, Wednesday night is the 27th. We decided to have our celebration here today. And so I have been privileged uh, to be able to be the pastor here for some time. I did want to call out a couple people before we, before we fully get into the sermon and, and remembering and celebrating a few things that God has done in the past. I, I wanted to just call out a few people who are in the room right now. Um, one, I'd like to say hello to Pastor Rick Umble. Um, Rick and Ruthie are here. Rick was an interim pastor before I arrived here in 2003 and did a fantastic job of helping the media congregation kind of be ready uh, in a time of transition. So Umbles, I'm so glad that you're here. And beside them, uh, Tom Farrow, you didn't know that you were in a row of royalty. Uh, beside them over here is Wes Umble. Uh, pastor Wes was the pastor here through the 1980s and 1990s, and Lois is there with him, and I know they, uh, they gave their hearts and souls to Media Mennonite Church for a long time. Also here today in the room, we have members of the Umble family, um, whose father Leroy was a pastor here for a long time. We have members of the Klein family, and we know that Pastor Dan was our associate pastor here within the last 10 years. And so I just wanted to, to highlight a number of you who are here and just say welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. And there are a number of you who are here in the room because we sent out invitations and said, hey, we're having a fun celebration today, and, and we're going to have lunch together. And of course, when we have lunch, that's always a draw. It helps me to stick around. I'm glad that you're here. My prayer for all of us today is that we will not get wrapped up in history just because it's kind of fun and look what we did. That's, you know, that's fine for grandma's picture albums. But what we really need to be thinking about and remembering is that God is at work, has been at work, and will continue to be at work. And so that is the theme of this morning. And so as we have that in mind, I'm going to invite you now, if you have a Bible, open it up to Mark chapter 5. Uh, this is also going to be on the screen behind me in case you don't have a Bible. If you have your little device, turn it on, power it up, find Mark chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 1. And I want to look at a really powerful example of Jesus Christ coming to save a life. Okay, so here, here at this point in Mark, Jesus has been ministering for, for some time. He's starting to get a reputation. People are starting to realize who he is, but he hasn't yet gotten around to the entire geographical area that he's eventually going to affect. Jesus, up until this point, has, doing his, has been doing his public ministry in areas that could be categorized as mostly Jewish in their culture, in their religion, and in their understanding. Okay, He's been around his hometown. He's been in that part of Israel that, that was still had a lot of Jewish people. And so they would have had some basic religious understandings that Jesus was connecting with in Mark chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. Now in Mark chapter 5, we see that Jesus and his disciples, by this time there are a number of disciples who are following along with him. He invited these relatively common men and, and some women even to, to follow along. There's getting to be quite a crowd. But it says in Mark chapter 5, verse 1, that they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Now, the region of the Gerasenes is further west and further south than where Jesus has been hanging out on the other side of the lake. He was on the east side of the lake, which is very Jewish. Now he's headed over to the west side, which is more of a Gentile area. Gentile meaning not Jewish. 
And most of these people in this region where he's going, these would have been people who had more of a Greek philosophy, more of a Greek religion, and more of a Greek culture. And if any of you remember your 10th grade history class, you remember about the, the Greeks and Romans, and those are still the major dominant cultures that were wrestling in this part of the world where the Jews found themselves living. So Jesus is going from a Jewish area of the country over across the lake to a more Gentile area. Kind of like, like people from Lancaster County say, oh, they're coming over here to Chester County. You know, it's, it, it's, it's the same country, the same region, but it's a little different. And, and those of us in Chester County may say, well, we're going over to Delaware County. Over there, you know. And if you're from Pennsylvania, you might say, no, we're going to go two miles south down to Cecil County. Well, it's it's the same kind of an area. It's not that far away, but sometimes there are some very different cultural pieces, right? This is what Jesus is addressing here. So Jesus and his disciples, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. Notice anymore. Apparently they used to. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So remember now, here's Jesus. Jesus who grew up a Jewish boy in a Jewish culture. Jesus whose primary mission to this point has been speaking to the Jews. Now he's in this Greek Gentile area. And as soon as he gets there, who meets him? This man who's been living by the tombs. There's a lot going on in these first couple verses that a, that a good Jewish person would have seen as objectionable or, or at least interesting or, or attention-getting because of uncleanness and as it relates to the Jewish religion. For example, there's an impure spirit, and the Jews would have looked at that and said, of course, that's, that's not of God, and so this is something that we should avoid. They would have seen that this man lived among the tombs. And, and in the Jewish religion, there were a lot of rules about how you got close to death. Dead bodies, graveyards, tombs, and all these kinds of things. This was, much of this was considered unclean, and so a good Jewish person didn't go in these areas. Here's a man with an impure spirit coming from an unclean place. And as we're going to learn in just a moment, there is a large herd of pigs nearby, over 2,000 of them. Pigs were unclean animals. This is why Jewish folks have a lot of rules about dietary restrictions. All that stuff comes from the Old Testament. God established that for the Jewish people. And so Jewish people, as they were reading this couple of verses that we just read through, would have had a couple of, a couple of fireworks go off, a couple of red flags. Whoa, impure spirit living among the tombs, pigs nearby. Interesting story already. Let's look at verse six. So when this man who was consumed with an impure spirit, living in an impure place among impure situations. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. That's a powerful picture here. Quite a welcoming party, isn't it? As soon as Jesus set foot on this Gentile soil, the power is recognized. Here, this man who uh, the spirits are going to say his name is Legion, this man came to Jesus and threw himself down on his knees in front of him. That might sound like humility, right? That might sound like worship. But it's very interesting here. Jesus addressed the spirit who was consuming this man 
And by the way, in 2022 America, let's not overlook the fact that there is an impure spirit consuming a man. Oftentimes we we kind of take that spiritual stuff and compartmentalize that as some kind of old school thing or some kind of fairy tale thing or, or wait, isn't that just in a movie somewhere? No, this is, this is reality in Jesus' time. This is reality now. These same spirits that were, that were running around back then, they've not been destroyed yet. There'll be a time when Jesus is coming back and, and all that is impure will be sent to hell. But those same spirits, they're, they're, still, they're still around. The devil is still at work. God is still at work too. Don't forget it, church. For 75 years, people have been preaching this reality. Let us not forget it now. But it's interesting. Look how these demons in, in the person of this man, look how they came to Jesus. They didn't try to hide. They, they came and they threw, their, they threw the body down on its knees. This body was so strong, couldn't be, couldn't be restrained by chains, kept broken off. People could not control this guy. And yet these demons moved in this body. They threw it down before Jesus. I think it's kind of, comical, actually, how they speak to him. Jesus says, spirits come out of that man. They say, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Now, now the demons get a little bit of respect, right? Oh, son of the most high God, what do you want with me? And then what does the demon or collection of demons, do you see what they say to Jesus? Here's the second half of verse seven. What do they say? In God's name, don't torture me. I wonder if Jesus had to chuckle a little bit. You're telling me about in God's name, you demons? What do we see here? We see that these demons are powerful because of the way this man was living, the way that no one could control him. He was just out there. Some, some of you have had experience with folks who have been um, consumed by things that seem to be not themselves. Perhaps that's an illness. Perhaps that's a situation. Have you ever been around someone that you would have said that they're just not themselves? And have you noticed how scary that is, how odd that is, how, how physically intimidating that can be? Here's a spot where Jesus gets off the boat. He's greeted by this man. He says, evil spirits come out. The spirits throw the body down in front of Jesus. Oh, in the name of God, don't torture me. What does Jesus do? Look at verse 9. Jesus asks him, what is your name? There's power in a name. Jesus says, what is your name? He said, my name is Legion, for we are many. There's not just one spirit consuming this man. There are many. And it says that the voice begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Why would you beg? Because they knew that he had the power to decide. These demons, they knew who Jesus was. They knew he was the son of the most high God. Maybe they were trying to twist that for their advantage. Maybe they were using that in a mocking way. These demons, they knew who Jesus was. These demons from the beginning of their creation knew who created them, even if they wouldn't worship him. And so these demons acknowledge who Jesus is, and these demons beg Jesus not to send them out of the area. It says in verse 11, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. This is another indication this is not a Jewish area because Jewish people would have never been able to have this in their vicinity. Large herd of pigs feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. It's an indication that it's better for them to be in the pigs than to go back to their father, the devil. Verse 13 Jesus gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank 
into the lake and were drowned. And as a guy who lives in 21st century America, who loves bacon, pork, scrapple, and sausage. Again, a, a different culture, right, than what many of these Jewish folk 2,000 years ago would have been living in. A different culture, certainly, than what the Greek folk were living in 2,000 years ago. I look at this and say, well, Jesus, what's up with the pigs? What, do you hate pigs? Do you hate pig farmers? I mean, uh, there's a couple of you in here that if 2,000 of your pigs just suddenly went berserk and were dead, you'd be frustrated. You'd lose money. Maybe some of you would be relieved. I don't know. What, does Jesus hate pigs? Does Jesus hate pig farmers? Well, a couple things to keep in mind. First of all, these pigs were all going to soon die anyway. That's why people raise pigs, to kill them. Jewish people weren't going to be eating them, but here in the region of the Gerasenes, there was a market for these pigs. So, so let's, let's be careful about the assumptions that we make looking through our cultural lens. These pigs were all going to die soon anyway. I, I read one commentator that said, frankly, the people who farmed these pigs would have been able to go and retrieve most of the bodies anyway after they had been buried. Go grab the pigs out of the sea, butcher them, and sell them anyway. I thought that was interesting. You'll have to think about whether that makes sense or not. One thing that, that I think is quite interesting is the point that Jesus would have been making here. We know that Jesus didn't cause the demons to go into the pigs and run into the sea, but he allowed it. Why? Why would Jesus allow this? Well, a little bit of background. This demon is called legion, right? What did the demon say? We are called legion, for we are many. In that part of the world, the military power at that time was the Roman military system. Romans had their legions. And a Roman legion, depending upon the era of history and depending upon exactly which definition you want to use, a Roman legion was somewhere between 2,000 and 6,000 soldiers. Okay? This is a legion, militarily speaking at that time, big group of guys. This legion says, we are many inside this man. And when Jesus allowed these demons to go, 2,000 pigs were drowned. That's interesting, isn't it? How many spirits were in Jesus? Or, uh, well, there was one spirit in Jesus, the Holy Spirit. How many spirits were in legion? Lots. You might say that there were 2,000 for there to be 2,000 pigs. Do you see the power of Jesus here? It's not even just Jesus against one demon and, oh, they're finally going to face off. You know, who's going to win? It's not Monday Night Raw. You know, the, the end is not in doubt. Jesus is powerful over one demon. Or, hey, just bring your whole legion of demons. Jesus, Jesus is the Son of Man. And even greater, he is the Son of God. And he walks off the boat and he's greeted by this man. Nobody can control him because there's so many spirits in there and this guy's body and the chains and the breaking and, and he sometimes even cuts himself, the, the, the gospels tell us. And, and there's all these problems and, and people are wondering and there's the pigs and Jesus just says, get out. And what do they do? They get out. That's our God. That's our God. Do you see the power of Jesus? Everybody else did. Look at how the scripture continues this story. Verse 14, those tending the pigs. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what happened. Jesus is making a point here, right? If we wanted to be cynical people, we could say Jesus is making a point that one man's life is worth more than 2,000 pigs. 
No animals, no one's wages are more important than a person being set free in Jesus Christ. That, that's something that we can see, but we can also see Jesus' pure power here. These people witnessed 2,000 pigs just suddenly rushing down. And not only that, they saw this man coming back to his right mind. These people were so struck with the power that they ran to the town and the countryside. The people went out to see what happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw this man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Why? Because when this kind of power shows up, and they didn't yet understand it, these Gentile people had not been in the area where Jesus had been doing so many of his miracles so far. The Jewish people, they were starting to know about him. There were starting to be some people and powerful folks in the Jewish religion who hated Jesus and who were beginning to think that Jesus was a problem. Jesus went across the lake. Now he's in this new area. People don't know who he is yet, but they know that with his word, he had the power to save this guy who everybody knew. This guy who was possessed by such power that a whole herd of pigs could be run to their death. These people were afraid. You and I are the same way. We are afraid when we see power that we don't understand. There are all kinds of ways that that power may show itself in our lives, through the people around us, through the situations around us. Maybe it's a governmental or military kind of thing. Maybe it's an economic thing, but we can just get this sense that the tide is shifting, right? And we don't know why or how or for how long. Do any of you ever get anxious? Well, you can understand what these folks were dealing with. They were afraid. Those, verse 16, who had seen all of this, told the people what happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Just go, get out of here. It's not so different than what the demons were doing, right? The demons came and threw down in front of Jesus. Jesus, son of the most high God, leave us alone. Now the people, whoever you are, powerful guy, leave us alone. So what did Jesus do? Well, when people say, leave me alone, Often Jesus leaves them alone. Look at verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, okay, he came and did his job. The people didn't want him. There's a time later in Scripture where Jesus sends out his disciples. He says, hey, go out to the towns all around you. Don't take a whole bunch of provisions. Just go and tell them about, tell them about the Lord. And if someone will welcome you, we'll stay at their house and do work there until the work is done. What does he say? If someone will not welcome you, go and what? Some of you know it. Shake the dust off your feet. They don't want to hear? All right. Here, interesting stuff to think about, isn't it? Jesus, fully invitational, power on display. Here I am. The people say, we don't want you. He says, all right. There's others. So verse 18, as he gets into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Of course he did. He knew what he had been through. He knew what he had been saved from. He knew the power of this man, and he was not afraid of Jesus. Take me with you. You find the answer, what do you do? You hold on to it. You cling tight. This man begged to go with him. A lot of begging. A lot of begging. First, this man begged by the power of legion for Jesus to leave him alone. Now this man begged, filled with the Holy Spirit, begging to go with him. Jesus did not let him Verse 19, sometimes even when we are saved, even when we have been delivered, even when we have been cleaned, and even when we beg Jesus, sometimes Jesus says no. 
Jesus had a bigger plan. Jesus did not let him come along, but said, go home to your own people. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. So what did the man do? The man went away, began to tell in the Decapolis. The Decapolis was an area of 10 cities in this region. He was from one of them. There's nine others. He goes and begins to tell in the region of the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. Is that worth the life of 2,000 pigs? You bet it is. Is that worth Jesus' time to come across the lake for a quick day trip? Sure it is. The man wanted to go with Jesus. Jesus said, no, go home and tell the people there. What is this story about? This story tells us about how Jesus rescued a man in need. We're going to take a commercial break right now. Everybody take a breath. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. I'm going to ask you to stand up if it applies to you, and I will not embarrass you. Okay? If you attended Media Mennonite Church at all in the 1940s, Media Mennonite Church began with some Bible school in 1946 and 47. Worship services started in 1947. If you attended Media Mennonite Church at all in the 1940s, would you stand up for us? I don't believe there's anyone in this room who did. Is there anybody? You were at Media Mennonite Church. You, you blanks. I didn't, know, I didn't know that you guys would have been here at that time. I don't know when all the families arrived. For, okay. So we have... What's that, Jim? Thank you, guys. In, in case you didn't hear Jim, he said he was carried in in 1949, and he'll be carried out. I like that. I like that. And ladies, thank you so much for being... How, I, I, don't know, I don't know, guys, if, if you tried to sit there, but that's pretty cool that you guys are together today. I'm, I'm glad to see you all here. Hey, that's, that's fun. In the 1940s, when this church was founded, four of you were there. Fantastic. How many of you how many of you began attending Media Mennonite Church in the 1950s? Would you stand up? And I know some of you were really little. There's a couple more of you. Yeah. Uh, all right. Welcome. Welcome. Hey, thanks, guys. Glad to see you. A couple humbles, a couple smokers, a little, little good representation. How many of you started attending in the 1960s? Good morning. All right. Jeanette and Arlene and Ruthie. Good morning. Glad you were here in the 1960s. Thank you, Wilmer and Arlene. Thank you, guys. Thank you, thank you. See, it's interesting. Some of you who are very new here, sometimes we get this opinion or this impression that when we walk in that, well, everybody here knows each other and because look at them. They're all smiling and I'm the only one. Well, it's going to be interesting. If you, even if you've only been here a couple weeks, I think this is going to be interesting how this washes out. How many of you came to Media Mennonite Church for the first time in the 19... 70s. Thank you. 1970s. How many of you, for the first time, came in the 1970s? All right, the crowd is starting to go. A couple of you because you got married and that got to be your place. A couple of you because you were born. Yeah, good. Hey, thank you. But this side, really heavy over here with the old media people. All right. How many of you started coming to Media Mennonite Church or were there for the first time in the 1980s? Anybody first come in the 1980s? Yeah, a few more. A few more. Wes and Lois, of course. Thank you. Oh, and now we've got Ryan and Ruben, some guys that are younger than me, and Devin, start, Kerwin, starting to show up. All right. How many of you first started coming in the 1990s to Media Mennonite Church? A couple. We've got some Schneiders, Janet, Stephanie, Eddie, and Jess, and Vicki. All right. Oh, and Sandy in the back. 
How many of you, how many of you started coming to Media Mennonite Church in the 2000s, between 2000 and 2010? A couple of you? Yeah, we had some weddings, right? Some weddings and some kids and uh-huh. In the 2000s, that was me, 2003. Um, I think I had attended once uh, a couple years before that, but that was when I started. How many of you started coming between 2010 and 2020? So basically what that means is between 2010 and between when we shut down that church building. All right, there's a lot of you here, right? And Now look around. Look around, people. This is kind of fun. All right, folks, have a seat. Now. How many of you have started attending Waterway Church since it's been Waterway Church? In other words, what I mean is how many of you are here today but have never been at the Media Mennonite Church building? That building, we had our last service there on February 9th, 2020. How many of you are here today but you've never been there? You've, you've started coming here since we've been here. Would you please stand? Stand, stand up, guys. I see a baby held up in the back, too. 